On today's show, we pick our first suggestion from our recent Facebook requests. Tiberio Chis, you're up with Roman Holiday. As usual, we head into Alveston Ward at the hospital, and we have a filmic chat with Maggie, Mariah, Veronica, and Anne. Also today, we touch upon a hidden gem of a movie that arguably has directly led to what is to be the biggest movie of this year. Welcome to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. Hello, my name is Tosin. I am your host for the show, and I am bro- we are broadcasting from Sunshine Radio at St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. So, with me in the studio today is Sharon. Hello. Hello, Sharon. How are we doing? All right, thank you. We're a little bit thin on the ground because um, Sean and Joe couldn't make it with us today, but we're going to have a good time. Yeah, we've got plenty to talk about. We've got loads to talk about. And once more, I'd like to say hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us and for your opinions to Maggie, Mariah, Veronica and Anne in Alveston Ward. I mean, today I sort of walked in there and usually I actually have to do quite a bit of work to get people to talk to me and... You know, you go to the first couple of people and they're like, oh, no, not really. I'm not really up for it or anything like that. And this time it was just kind of like, you know, an ambush and everybody came in. And they all your, wanted to say something. They all wanted to share stories. Your reputation some... is going ahead of you, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, well, yes. But, yeah, and um, no, it was great. And we got some great stories from them about the first time that they ever went to the cinema. So um, nice today, one. today what we're going to do on the show is um, we, we're going to have a we're going to kick off with a bona fide classic. So it's a film that we've looked at and we've said this film. I don't care who you are, where you're from. This film is a bona fide classic, and you should go. You should go watch it. Which has been chosen, as we said, on our Facebook page. On Facebook is just they don't make them like they used to. Have a look at that, and um, we put a call out, and people actually put films that they said, "Oh, this is a great film. That's a great film. That's a great film." After that, we'll head into the hospital. We will we will listen to what Maggie, um, what Maggie, Mariah, Veronica, and Anne said about their first times at the cinema. Then we will go on to a hidden gem, a film that we think more people should know about. This film, it's a great film, but hasn't been hasn't quite been given the recognition or the love of maybe some of its better known peers. I will end the show off with a uh, with a section called "Exception to the Rule," which is essentially. The rule is they don't make them like they used to because on this show we talk about pre-1980 movies and we're going to find an, a, an exception to the rule, a film made post-1980 that we would recommend to anybody to watch. So, today, Sharon, could you tell us what film it was that I think, uh, well, this is a friend of mine, uh, Tiberio, we just call him Tib. What film did Tib choose? Tib chose uh, Roman Holiday with the, well, some arguably gorgeous Audrey Hepburn. Yes, yes, Roman Holiday. So we're kicking off with Roman Holiday this week, which is the classic movie starring Audrey Hepburn, Gregory Peck, larking about Rome. <laughs> what year was that? I think it was 1953. Okay, because I was thinking the whole princess thing, having that moment of freedom, I thought it does tie in with the, the coronation, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That was around about the same time. So obviously that whole young, pretty royal princesses was was a thing that they took advantage of and exploited because the... The, the coronation was was a huge event of well, that year. Yeah, I, I I think so. I think there's there's we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But but to set up a little bit about what this film's all about, we have the audio of the beginning of Roman Holiday. So this is the first three minutes of beginning uh, of Roman Holiday, which has some great music in it, and also at the same time sets up what is actually happening in the film. So this is yeah. Here we go.
special coverage of Princess Anne's visit to London, the first stop on her much-publicized goodwill tour of European capital. She gets a royal welcome from the British as thousands cheer the gracious young member of one of Europe's oldest ruling families. After three days of continuous activity and a visit to Buckingham Palace, Anne flew to Amsterdam, where Her Royal Highness dedicated the new International Aid Building and christened an ocean liner. Then went to Paris, where she attended many official functions designed to cement trade relations between her country and the Western European nations. And so to Rome, the Eternal City, where the princess visit was marked by a spectacular military parade highlighted by the band of the crack Bersaglieri Regiment. The smiling young princess showed no sign of the strain of the week's continuous public appearances. And at her country's embassy that evening, a formal reception and ball in her honor was given by her country's ambassador to Italy. Yes, the beginning of Roman holiday, featuring music by Georges or Jorge's Oric and Victor Young, which is of which sets up the film quite well. It tells you what it is. So it's all about this princess yeah. who is traveling around Europe on a goodwill mission, going to all these different countries, telling and they from a from a never named country. They never say what country she's from. It's always just kind of like from her country, ambassador <laughs> and her country's amb- embassy, <laughs> and they never say what country she's from. But she's she. I mean, even though you you were saying stuff about how they cash in on the coronation, yeah, and it's a, I think it's. Knowing that is a it's a big possibility because the carriages that she's going in are very very sort of like English royalty. Yeah. The way she waves is very English royalty, and she has a very English accent. And she looks like the the young queen who yeah. had the bubble cut, didn't she, at that time? Yeah. And she was very slim and always dressed to the height of fashion. Yeah, yeah. We tend to forget. We tend to think of our queen as being, you know, the, the older lady that she is now. But she was, you know, she was a very trendy, fashionable young woman at the time when well, she was, you know, crowned. Yeah, I still think she's quite trendy, like you know, for the for the eighty-something-year-old crowd. Yeah, I, I reckon the queen is quite, <laughs> still quite trendy. Gets it's away always with, turned out well. Yeah, always turned out very well. And they they make a point of this in the film. So the whole idea is that when the film kicks off, you see her going around all these different people and being at all these different functions, and they do they do quite a good work of showing how possibly grueling it is and i think one of the one of the more one of the less subtle things in the film is that they say even though she's been going for this for a month she's still showing a lot of energy and all that yeah. kind of stuff but she's surrounded by this pomp and this formality almost isn't she these confined yeah which is what as you say sets up the film that where she is so confined she wants to sort of 
slip the leash for a while and to just let go of all that yeah. weight of responsibility while she can yeah. and have a holiday. Yeah. Well, and and the thing I the thing I actually quite liked is um, the little the, it was is the little sort of no, points that they have little sort of grace notes that they use to show how much she wants to try and escape and how much she wants to try and get out of there. So it's the fact that when she's standing up there and at the beginning she has all these dignitaries coming up to you and she's greeting each one of them in their own language and she's saying like you know uh, we have a new and all that kind of stuff and all and guten tag and so all the different people as they come up and then there's this shot of underneath her of, of her dress and you can see that she slipped her shoe her foot out of her shoe <laughs> and she's trying to stretch the foot because she has to be on her, her feet all day yeah. but then she knocks the shoe over and she can't quite get it back on and it's like all these sort of little things that show this is somebody who might have this um, job to do and everything like that, but might not be entirely happy with it. Yes. There's that whole dichotomy, isn't it, about being born into this amazing privilege, and but then the responsibility and the weight of it as well. Mm-hmm. That it's a fantasy for some people to live in a palace and to have untold wealth and your every wish. Yeah. But you can't have the one wish you may want, which is your freedom and the choice to do something different. Yeah. This is your life is mapped out from your birth. Yeah. Which you know is not a fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so from there we so we go this and then after we sh- we've been given all these hints that she might not be entirely happy, we have a blowout scene in which she shows that she isn't really happy. Where they're going through her schedule for the next day, and she more or less just sort of like breaks down and yells at everybody and says, "Oh, for goodness sake, why can't I have my own life to myself?" She gets given a, a sedative, gets given a sedative by a doctor to fall asleep. And then in one of those sort of like, oh, it would only happen in a movie, but we need this to happen so the film can carry on yeah. moments. She sort of slips past all the security and escapes yeah. escapes the embassy <laughs> in the back of like an Italian potato truck or something. <laughs> I say they're all protection officers. They'd be out of a job, wouldn't they? <laughs> I know. I'm thinking if that happened today, like people would be getting fired left, right and centre. They would be gone. <laughs> it's like, right, so um, the princess got out of bed snuck past you went out of a window climbed down a drain pipe going to the back of, and went past the uh, heavily guarded gate without anybody seeing yeah, anything yeah without anyone searching any of it <laughs> yeah but okay well, but I'll, I'll let well, it but aside from that yeah we couldn't yeah I'll let it go for two things number one it was the 50s and number yeah. two it's a fantasy it's... yeah these films aren't meant to be examined on that sort of level are they the, mm-hmm. the police security surrounding the princess is not the, the, the main point of the film <laughs> yeah yeah true <laughs> true then she bumps into Gregory Peck yeah he's a journalist isn't he isn't he there to cover a story but a... He, he's a journalist for uh, he's a journalist for I think of some sort of press service and he's in he's in, based in Rome and his job is that he, the first time you see him he's playing like a poker game and he is supposed to cover an interview with Princess Anne, which is Audrey Hepburn's character, right. in the morning. He's supposed to cover, but obviously those days there's no internet and everything like that. It's kind of like not everybody knows what she looks like. Yeah, because you don't have the reels on the, on the news, which yeah, you'd have yeah. at the cinema, wouldn't you? You wouldn't have as, as many televisions of, and things at home. Yeah, you wouldn't have televisions at home, so nobody really knows what she looks like. So meanwhile, because she has been sedated, she falls asleep on a park bench and he walks past her, sees her asleep on a park bench. And he and that this whole thing where he tries to get her to go home and he tries to put her in a taxi and get a taxi to take her home. But she's just out of it and she can't tell him anything. So he so he goes, all right, cool. And he takes her home 
takes her home, puts her to bed, and he's thinking that in the morning she'll figure it out. Yeah. And then the next morning he wakes up late. He wakes up late, goes into this office, and he sees a newspaper with a picture of the princess on it. And because he wakes up late, he's being yelled at by his boss for not for not being responsible. And he goes, "What if I can get you an exclusive, an exclusive one-on-one interview with yeah. the princess and all that?" And so he makes this deal with his boss where he'll get like loads of money and he'll win a bet with his boss if he can get a one-on-one deal. But um, so he goes back home and then the rest of the film is just about them hanging around in Rome. Yeah, you the see them. Day. It's a beautiful film of Rome, isn't it? It is. It really, really is. It just is. makes Rome look gorgeous. Well, it is gorgeous. It's a gorgeous city. Have you been to Rome, Tosin? I have not been to Rome, no. I've been there a couple of times, yeah. two or three times. It's like gorgeous cities. Yeah, it, it's one of those travelogue movies. Yeah. It's one of those ones that goes, hmm, yeah, Rome. And it is a place that you could do. You could drift about Rome easily. I mean, the, the total, I've been there once with a guide and once as an independent traveller where we just basically booked our own hotel and then we drifted for a week. Mm-hmm. And you, you do leave your hotel in the morning and then you just wander and you see the statues, the, the buildings. So or the Trevi Fountain and yeah, the Colosseum. All of it. It's all within all walking distance. It's all the old bits. are very compact. So yeah. you can... One, and you are, you, and you are, your life's in danger by the scooterists. And the, the, <laughs> see, when you see them iconically on the scooter, still today, everywhere there are mad scooterists. Well, just just vespers and lambrettas all over, all yeah. over Rome. And I think those vintage ones, again, iconic. But you see them, and it, you, that is the image, isn't it? That the two of them on a this vintage. Well, it wasn't vintage at the time. It was probably top of the range yeah but there's scooter <laughs> at the time and now you get every scooter rallyist would be like drooling over over one of those oh yeah 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 it's it's, it's, it's but it, yeah but i agree with what you were saying about it of how beautifully it shoots through and it really does make you feel like you want to go there even yeah. even the bit where they show his apartment which is supposed to be a rundown apartment and like a not he's a journalist doesn't have like loads of money or anything but there's a bit where he comes out of the ba- onto the balcony and they show like the neighborhood and yeah. he has this whole kind of like it's it's kind of like the romantic Italian thing of neighbors talking to each other and shouting up the yeah, stairs. Yeah, the tall to each narrow other. buildings. Yeah, with yeah. the close. Yeah, the thing. And like every now and then they have a square and there's kids all around yeah. the place and the kids are all playful and all that sort of stuff. And um, so yeah, so I think from there, I think the the storyline of the film is not it. It's it's not the most complicated thing. It's not no. the most complex thing. It's it's quite a straightforward storyline, but but happened manages. I think what really sells it is the performances. It, yeah, because you you begin to because you know you, he should be a dislikable character, shouldn't he? The fact that he's prepared to exploit her. Yeah. And but then he obviously becomes he knows her and he begins to like her for who she is, not what what she is. Yeah. And that that sort of evolving of that relationship as they have their time together is is just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. I and think... it's not cynical either, is it? It's that, I think it's that it's that joyful innocence that we tend to be a bit dismissive of, but it it adds the charm of the film. Oh yeah, I, I think because I know that they've um, when I was watching the film, I was thinking that there's this this film was probably a precursor to a lot of. A lot of movies that have come out since then of person with a privileged life wants to escape it for a day and like goes into the thing and it probably has like you know his roots going back to like Mark Twain with the Prince and the Pauper yeah. and all that and even that goes a bit further back when you have to talk about Roman emperors dressing up like one of the normal people yeah, and walking out going out into the crowd Coriolanus yeah. I think has that sort of thing in it as well but I was thinking of another film of a similar time I'm the Student Prince okay where it's he's one of like these. Germanic princes who decides that he's he wants to become a student he doesn't want to, he's going to become the heir and he's going to be king but before he does that he wants to live a normal life so he becomes a student in a German university yeah and he has this romance with this waitress and 
it's all it's the it's played by Edmund Purdom, but the voice is Mario Lanza, who's oh. a huge singer. Okay, yeah. In every way so, <laughs> in the fifties. <laughs> but it's in the fifties and it's about him having his romantic summer. Oh really? Without responsibility. And then he takes on the mantle of being a king and becomes a better king because he knows yeah. that common experience. Yeah. And again for her you get the feeling that when she takes up her mantle, yeah. she's gonna take this experience with her and it's gonna help her become a better monarch yeah of her unknown country yeah, of, of her unknown country i mean there's even a line of the film where they where they point that out where the editor comes in and he's like yeah you know from some unknown country it's like you know they say that some woman of some unknown country has been larking around rome and doing this and doing that and you're like going oh they're just being very clever and not telling where she comes from but it looks like it's england yeah. <laughs> and, and i think even even uh, up till today i know that recently there was the there was this glut of movies made about um, the American president's daughter. So yes. there were two. There was one called First Daughter, I think, and I, yeah. remember, and I can't remember what the other one's called. But essentially, the same thing happens. The American president's daughter is like, oh, why do I have the secret agents all around me? Why is this going on? Why is that going on? And then they escape, and then they go, and they have the shenanigans, and then they come back at the end, and they find love while they're out there and all that kind of stuff. With an ordinary Joe. Yeah, with an ordinary <laughs> Joe. And even even this year, this year, there was a film released called A Royal Night Out. Yes, about the... VE Day, wasn't it? The night of VE Day. It was about the night of VE Day and about Princess Elizabeth and Princess Anne. Margaret was, Rose. Mar- Margaret, that was it. Mar- Prince Mar- Anne was her daughter. Margaret was her sister. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um yeah Princess so Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret going out into the town and celebrating with everybody else. Yeah. And, and I'm think and when I'm thinking I'm thinking yeah this it's all sort of like Roman holiday ish. Yeah. That it's, that because I think that's the romance of it, isn't it? Is that the yeah. people who can they they they're for them the romance is being ordinary <laughs> yes so you, you have a, it's kind of like the flip side of a film which is all about like you know rags to riches yeah being a pr- princess for a day this yeah. is about being you know this not is about a being, princess being for a day. normal for a day it's, yeah. a, it's a total grass is always greener yeah so mm. and then just seeing how the other half live yeah yeah because how long does how i'm trying to, i have seen roman holiday obviously mm-hmm. um but i'm trying to think how long does the, her holiday last because you see, the it feels like it's just a long day. Yeah. But is it over one day or is it over two or three? Oh no, the 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 bit that she she escapes for a day. A day. She escapes for a day, so it's a day to hang around with Gregory Peck in in, in Rome with no yeah. responsibilities and all that. Which it's a role that was actually originally meant for Cary Grant. Okay, well, it's the journalist. Yeah, the journalist, the Gregory yeah, Peck. Yeah, I think Gregory Peck's probably better choice than well, Cary Grant for that. Well, they they offered it. I think probably just Gregory Peck is better at just being normal. Yeah, because <laughs> you'd immediately think that Cary Grant was some sort of seducer, <laughs> <laughs> so that it wouldn't be an innocent holiday. That you'd think there was some maybe another ulterior motive there. Yeah, true, true. And, uh, and Cary Grant apparently he turned down the film. He turned down the film because he thought he would be too old. He was. He said he was too old. He was the age gap between him and Audrey Hepburn was too much. Yeah. Although again, people... that would change the balance of the film. It would, you want it to become creepy. You don't want. You don't want it to become creepy. Although some people say that they reckon it's just because the film focused a lot on the princess and not so much on the yes even though i think it's a it's a bit of a double hander but uh, a couple more things about the film it was actually audrey hepburn's first major role right and she won an oscar for it did she really goodness that's a heck of a welcome to the world of yeah stage and screen isn't so, it so at the beginning of the film it says and introducing audrey hepburn yeah wow. because this was the film where, in which she was discovered yes introduced to the world yeah introduced to the world Actually. It's the, it's the film in which she was discovered and she won she won an Oscar, which I think is another way of how the times have changed because it's a bit of a romantic comedy and it's 
those are not the films that you expect to win Oscars no, now. Certainly wouldn't now. Yeah. No, it's not like a stretch to her to play different emotions, is it? It's, yeah, I mean, uh, but I do think that she's great in it. I yeah. think she does. She does a lot of good stuff, and um, yeah, and I think as I said, with when you compare it to some of the films that are made, like let's say the first president, the president's daughter's movie, running around and all that. Yeah. What they don't have is that they don't have Audrey Hepburn. No, that's sort of charm Peck. and grace yeah. and yeah. just joyfulness that they sort of exude when they when they're in films together. And the impish face, the impish yeah. face. <laughs> <laughs> the impish face is just like no, that's that's just that's just cinematic gold right there. Yeah. The impish face. Uh, so yes, uh, that's uh, Roman, Holiday. Roman Holiday. Tib, good choice, man. Good choice. Good film classic movie yeah and good choice. yeah there's actually more we can say about it like uh, oh oh just i'll say one th- one thing i promised myself i was going to mention is what i loved about the film is that every single character you meet no matter how tiny has something memorable about them like the barber who cuts her hair he's like you know he, he he's on screen for the first time he shows he's on screen for maybe about a minute but he's memorable like the, yeah. the the guy who looks after the, the landlord, like uh, Gregory Peck's landlord in the film, he's memorable. And I think that that's something that I love about films that are made then. Like, yes, and William Wyler, who directed it, yeah. he made sure that every single person that you met had something was fleshed out, yeah. even if they only had something you can of screen. hold on to to yeah. say, yeah, yeah, that was you, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I really really enjoyed that. So thank you once again, thank you, Tip. Um, now we're gonna move on to. The hospital, going Yay. into the hospital. Alveston. Alveston, a lovely, lovely Alveston ward. As I said, I walked in there, and oh, thanks to the nurse, I didn't even catch her name, but she essentially walked into the room, and she just told everybody, uh, this gentleman here is from the hospital radio, and he wants to talk to you about movies, and the first time we went to the movies, and everybody in the room just went, yeah, I got a story. <laughs> me, me, me. It was like everybody just came out. I was like, wow, this is like different. they should have like, their own theme tune. And I was thinking of like Galveston by... <laughs> Glenn Campbell, we should just call it Alveston. Alveston, just change the title. Alveston, oh Alveston. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. We could use it to just sort of introduce this uh, section. Yeah. But anyway, first up, first up, we're going to hear from uh, Maggie, Maggie Oakley, um, who uh, spoke to on uh, in Alveston Ward about the first time she ever went to the cinema. Here it is. When I was four, I was taken to see Snow White. And I had to be taken, kicking and screaming, out of the cinema because as soon as the Wicked Witch came on, I I yelled and yelled the whole place down. And um, uh, for the benefit of the other viewers, I had to be taken out. And and they'd taken me there for a treat, but I was too young to understand. And unfortunately, um, that was a, a total failure. Um, and I still remember it. It's strange, isn't it? Um, I'm 66 now, and yet that memory is still there in my head of the of the Wicked Witch. And uh, and I think it also it was the um, crow putting his eye through the eye um, to the eye of the skull as well. I can remember that. And um, as I say, it was a total failure. And uh, and they couldn't understand because they'd taken me there for a birthday treat. But there you are. So was it like an upset screaming at the screen? Or was it kind of like a pantomime, boo, here, so I hate you kind of thing? No, no, no. It was just yelling and yelling and yelling. Um, but everybody else was trying to enjoy it around me. And so they had, and as I say, I was only four. 
so I was scary. So yes, absolutely terrifying. I was too young to understand. Uh, I liked the pretty princess, of course I did. Um, but when it came to the scary stuff, wow, I was out of there. Um, and um, as I say, my birthday treat was a was a total flop. And um, uh, and it's a memory that's lasted with me, and uh, even until now. Have you seen Snow White since then? Oh yes, I love it. <laughs> but uh, being blind now, I can only. Um, I've been blind since 2004 um, with the disease that I have, and um, but I still remember the colours because all those early Disney's they were all hand painted. They weren't computerized, and uh, they were absolutely exceptional for their color and their depth. And I have the memory of them still in my head. Uh, and um, yes, I can remember them, and it gives me a lot of pleasure. Um, but um, I don't like the the newer ones. I haven't um, ever got into those before I lost my sight. So. It's the older ones that I remember. Okay. Thank you very much. So what's your name? My name is Maggie. Maggie Oakley. Maggie Oakley. Thank you so much, Maggie. Thank you so much. Not at all. Yes, that was Maggie talking to us about being turfed out of the cinema at the age of four from watching Snow White. You see, now, this is one of the things I love about this show, the fact that you get to hear stories like that. Like, Yeah, it sounds like she was traumatised by it if she remembers it 62 years later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that. It's kind of funny because the other day I was speaking about how one of my earliest memories is my brother. Um, in It was like, it must have been like about 1983. My brother being freaked out by Michael Jackson in the Michael Jackson thriller video. And it was just my dad carrying my brother towards the TV and my brother going, ah, ah, Michael Jackson! <laughs> so, yeah, I think my brother must have been about three. So He probably isn't the first person or the last person to react that way to yeah, Michael Yeah, to, to be traumatized by Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yeah, Maggie, thanks. Uh, that's that's great. And also- I, have, I have, have actually seen Snow White at the cinema. Have you? Yeah, because... Um, as I've mentioned before, when I was growing up, you used to get re-releases. You'd come round, you know, you wait a while, and another film would come, uh, would come back to the cinema. Mm. And I remember Snow White came to Newport at about the time that Fox and the Hound was released. And I, I, a friend and I went to see the double bill, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and the Fox and the Hound. And I said to my mum, oh, it's the new one. It's the new film out, Snow White. She went, no, 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 it's an old film. I said, no, it's not as new. It's new, it's at the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and this was in like, the 1980s. Yeah. So it would was... 50 or 60 years old then and yeah. I thought it was and I, when I watched it yeah to me it was a brand new film <laughs> so it's one of the few Disney's I think Fox and the Hound was one of the, the last animation films I voluntarily went to see oh yeah I know I have been to see many since but I'm normally there forced to go <laughs> under duress <laughs> but I enjoy them once I'm in there but I have to be dragged into the cinema to sit and watch them now but at the time, I was like, "Yeah, cartoon. Yeah, let's go." <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the thing, the thing as well that, that I think also comes across when we're speaking to Maggie is, it we it's it's easy to forget how revolutionary that was because that was the first ever full length animated yeah, a movie, feature length animated film. Yeah. So going in there and you can imagine, okay, they're going to go watch a film that it's been an area that has just been reserved for live action movies for so long, and then all of a sudden. You have this thing; it's drawn. I can imagine the kids are going crazy. Yeah, and at the time, color wasn't common it was still yeah only the certain films were made in color yeah so to have a full length color animation film must have been amazing but remember yeah it's the, the layers of the film and the 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 colors 
yeah, stunning to this day. And I also like about it is the way that beauty changes. I think often women talk about how standards of beauty have changed, about you know, how it's fashionable to be curvy or thin or to be, you know, have different attributes, so we say. Yeah. And it's nice to see her, the Snow White is obviously the beautiful woman of her day. Yeah. She exemplifies. And often if you look through the, the Disney heroines, they typify what was regarded as being the height of beauty for that year. For that, for, yeah, for and that so it charts area, yeah. sort of like female beauty over the last 80 years, really am- amazingly, I think. If you look at like, the Frozen girls now, they've got these huge, abnormally big eyes <laughs> and little ski jump noses, haven't they? Really yes, quite yes. grotesque looking if you actually uh, dissect what they look like. Well, well if, if you look at it... If, but uh, but they've got to like the height of beauty now. Yes, it's kind of like well, what Maggie was saying about like, when you look at nowadays. and look at, So often you, Frozen is the, the new Disney one. It's the big hit of the last couple yeah. of years. It's all com- computer animated. And people were pointing out that if you ever met somebody who, if you looked at a real life person who had the dimensions of one of the frozen girls, it yeah. would be freaky. And someone actually, I saw someone who actually photoshopped a picture to make the eyes around about the same. That big. Uh, yeah, yeah. As big as as they look in the film. And it's just kind of like. Ugh. You'd have eyes like oranges. <laughs> yeah, the size of an orange. It's like that, think- that's like a, a third that's of not- the height of your face. <laughs> yeah. Your eyes are the third height of your... What, why is this supposed to be good? Why is this supposed to be attractive? Yeah. Two eyes are oranges and your nose is like a peanut. That's... <laughs> A dry roasted peanut? That's not good. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but say that I think Snow White is a film that actually still stands up today. Yes, and I think one of the things that they understood back then, and I, or, that I think now has been a bit sanitized, is what she was talking about the witch and the bit being scared and about the crow genuinely and the, scary. Uh, yeah, and it is still genuinely scary. The dark bits are dark, yeah. properly dark. The dark yeah. bits are dark, which makes it so like the triumph over dark all the more yeah. impressive and all the more. So cathartic when it's like, yeah, oh my word, yeah, she wins at the end. Oh, the the evil witch didn't win. Yeah. Snow White did get kissed and she did wake up. And yeah. the evil witch isn't really evil. She's just got issues, you know. It's like, I know she was evil. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas nowadays you've got to understand the minion fight. It's like, no, forget oh, that. Yeah, you, because, want, you want your black and white. Yeah, because Disney are doing the remaking like a whole bunch of films. Like they did yeah. Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty. Yes. And they said they did a film about the bad guy uh, in yeah, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, they turned it all around on its head. And it was all kind of like, okay, cool. The, yeah, the, yeah, she isn't really bad. She's just misunderstood. Yeah, they took her wings, so she's not very happy. Yeah. yeah and you'd be uh, you'd be cross too. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think there's there's some value to that, but I think when the, just the fact that they managed to understand, look, you need to have something scary. Yeah, and so children you, don't can be scared yeah. without damaging their psyches. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Maggie seems fine. Yeah, she was a lovely lady. When I <laughs> <laughs> spoke to her, love, absolutely lovely. Maggie sounds fine. You're right, Maggie, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's no lasting scars from the evil witch. So, um, yes, we are here on Sunshine Radio. You're listening to Sunshine Radio at St. Mary's Hospital. Um, just a quick word about our website. If you want to have a request meant for anybody in the hospital, you can go to the website, which is www.sunshineradioiow.com and um, put a request in there for anybody who's in the hospital and uh, at the moment. And speaking about requests, the next person that we speak to, who is Mariah, actually had a request at the end of her interview. But this is Mariah's interview about her first time at the cinema. All right. Do I start? Yeah, you go My first film I saw was here in the Isle of Wight, and it might have been in Ryde or Newport. I can't remember where. And I was probably about four, and it was The Sound of Music. I don't remember much about it, but it was, um, it was very magical. 
did that sort of kick off like a whole uh, lifelong love of cinema or anything like that? I love the cinema, love film. And um, I've got a young son who makes quite a lot of film. And I just love it. You can get lost in it. It releases all sorts of emotions. It can make you relate to things. It can open your eyes to new experiences. And I think it's a fantastic medium. And what's your favorite thing? Favorite thing about Sandra music? I think it's when she makes from the clothes, from the curtains. Because oh. it's very, there's a, it's sort of parallel in a way to that scene in Gone with the Wind when Scarlett O'Hara makes her dress from the curtains. All right, cool. And favorite song? From the Sound of Music? Yeah. Ooh, I think it would have to be my favorite things. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. I simply remember my favorite things and then I don't feel so bad. The legendary Julie Andrews Yay. with my favorite things. Now, the thing is, Sound of Music, I've said it before on this show, but that is one of those films I think it's actually morally wrong to not like this film. Yeah, you can't. How could you not like it? What's not to love about it? You've got nuns. Yeah. You've got Nazis. Yep. And you've got people singing about Edelweiss. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Even I, people wearing lederhosen. Yeah, I mean, it's just. It's this... a perfect storm of marvelousness, isn't it? <laughs> And I remember a couple of years ago where some of my friends decided to start watching Sound of Music because one of them hadn't seen it. Yeah. So they, they started playing Sound of Music and this was around about one o'clock in the morning. So they're like, okay, cool. Yeah, we're going to start watching Sound of Music. They put it on and started playing it. And I was like, oh, I can't remember how this film starts. I'm just going to watch the beginning because it has like the bells and it goes up to the yeah. hills. Oh, like, yeah, that scene at the beginning before yeah. you see her charging across Be the top. Yeah, before you actually go anywhere near the, it's near amazing. the mountains. Yeah. And it's and. And I was like, oh, well, I don't remember this. I'm pretty sure. And I just, so I just wanted to watch the beginning. And then three hours later, I went to bed. I haven't, I haven't watched the whole yeah, film. You can't I, stop watching. At what point do you stop watching? Yeah. And it, it's just, it's, it's, uh, Sound of Music is one of those great things. And I know some people complain about it being on at all the time at Christmas. I'm like, bring it on. I don't bring have a problem on. with that. I, I once did. had a Sound of Music party at my house. Really? Well, we didn't dress up. Okay. But that, it was, we had the evening was themed around watching the Sound of Music. So, yeah, we were having, we had a, Sound of Music party night. <laughs> was it like a sing along? We did sing along. Yeah, we could. There's no hodgepodge. You could sing along. You could, you know, no one wants to dance because you know my room's not that big. Yeah, the living room anyway. <laughs> but yeah, we just had a fun time, just just enjoying the celebrating, celebrating, celebrating the, the, the amazing sound of music. The sound of music. So thank you, Mariah. That's a great Good one. Choice. And uh, now, um, uh, Anne didn't speak to us uh, because she couldn't quite remember what her first film was, but I still feel like Anne was a, like, a real big part of everything that went on. But um, Veronica, who can all, who can also be called Anne, she told me, um, she we, she was the final person we spoke to, and this is what she had to say about the first time she went to the cinema. <laughs> all right. When I was a little girl, I used to go on a bus to school and uh, a lady used to sit by me and she gave me tickets regularly for the cinema because she used to work there. And so my dad, mum and I used to go to, this is in Birkenhead, used to go to the Odeon and we'd see the um, organ going up and down, you know, in the interval. But the films we saw were Alan Ladd, 
Cowies and Ted Ritter and all that sort of thing. And um, my memory is of, uh, we always used to like cowboy films. And of course I used to watch them a lot on telly. I can't watch them now, isn't it funny? It's sort of, I don't know, I've changed, I think. Um, I like John Wayne. I can watch the odd John Wayne film now. But it was magic going to the cinema. We used to come out because everybody smoked and we had very sore eyes and you smelt of the smoke and everything. And that's my first memory of going to the pictures. But it was a lovely thing because my dad was very keen on Alan Ladd and various of the leading ladies in the films and so on. So that's my memory. Thank you very much. (laughs) And your name? Veronica. Veronica. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's like a sort of mixed thing because I'm thinking, wow, on a bus every day with somebody who just gives you tickets to go see movies. Yeah, you'd want to catch the bus just in case you'd run into her, wouldn't you? I wish I could get that now. I'm going to start stalking people who work at the local cinema and just sort of like finding what bus they take to get that. But on the other hand, you being in the cinema full of people watching a film and everybody smoking yeah I... and when as soon as she said that I thought I remember that actually in Newport <laughs> the big the big cinema in Newport yeah it used to have but you could smoke anywhere in those days yeah and then when they introduced I think they had like a no smoking section which is utterly pointless inside a cinema isn't it <laughs> <laughs> but I think half the cinema was like you know the non smoking seats yeah you think yeah right still got to come away smelling a cigarette smoke but, yeah, <laughs> say, and, and also she used a term I'd never heard before. I mean, Veronica, you've 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 educated me. She said cowies. Yes, I've never heard that before. Either. Yeah, I never, I never, I've never heard of cowboy movies referred to as, as cowies. No, always westerns or cowboy for bitches. Yeah. Uh, and when she well, first of all, when she said that, I thought she was talking about something in cows. And yeah. I, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, cows was on cinema. They had cinema for their yeah. movies. Their own genre. Yeah, okay. yeah, and then I was like, oh, cowboy movies, yay, yay. John Wayne. And Alan Ladd, yeah, we, we were thinking earlier, weren't we, with Alan Ladd, but the only thing I could th- picture that mo- he's most famous for is Shane. Yeah, Shane. Which he did in 1953, which is one of his iconic roles. He is like this mysterious character who comes in, solves all their problems, and then... And then goes up And it goes away subjects. again in the end. Shane, come back, Shane, <laughs> Shane. Or however it ends. But, <laughs> but that's Alan Ladd. I'm trying to think of Ted Ritter. Was he Hopalong Cassidy? But I just... It's not a name I'm really familiar you with. See, but now, this is the kind of thing that makes me wish we had Sean here because Sean, Sean, definitely Sean is our Sean is our resident cowboy expert, yeah. and Sean will be able to tell you, oh yeah, he was in that, da, 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 and oh yeah, what what year are we talking about? Nine fifty three. Oh, he made three movies in that year. He did this one. That, yeah. That one, this one, one he was a bandit. This one he was a cowboy. This one he was a yeah train yeah. driver. Yeah. Whatever. But yeah, I think um, the only one thing I can think of is yeah, possibly Hopalong Cassidy, but that's just out out of thin air. I could yeah. be completely wrong. But Westerns, yeah, they have... You don't get as many Westerns now. I went to see one earlier this year with Shawnee, actually, The Salvation, which was really good. Oh, yeah, really it was good. like a new... It was kind of like an old school... It was a new film, but done in like a sort of like 70s type Western. Yes, yeah, very stylish. Lighting was amazing. The, cinema, the cinematography was amazing. But I really enjoyed it. But yeah, it was only on for like three days or something. So Shawnee and I thought, yeah, we definitely want to go see that. So we caught that mm. when it was on at Newport. But yeah, great film. Yeah. But yeah, you don't get as many as in those days. You know, I think they made westerns constantly, didn't they? It was like yeah. people were employed to do nothing but make westerns. Yeah, I think it's a bit like how now you have superhero movies. I think back then the superhero movies were westerns. Well, western, yeah, you were yes. the western hero. Yeah. So, so thank Some you. Good choices, Veronica. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's like you know, Veronica, Mariah, Maggie. Thank you so much for joining us on the show nice today. Mixture. <laughs> it, it's it's been great. It's been great. Honestly, I actually think that. 
with the wealth of stories you guys have with uh, amongst yourselves and the knowledge you have about movies i almost want to get you in here and just have you on the show every week you can just <laughs> tell us about what, yeah. what it was like because as i said one of the things i love about this show and hearing these stories is that these are things that i'm never going to see like i'm never going to have that experience no. of being in the cinema and watching like you know uh, an animated movie for the first time and like you know and us being the first ever animated movie that made yeah. this big event because it's very hard to get event cinema anymore nowadays yeah they just sort of passes us by really yeah even things like the, i'm not going to mention it because there's a film coming up later that was such a huge impact in my childhood mm-hmm. that it sort of transformed the whole landscape of that decade Go ahead and mention films. it. I think I think I know well, where you're going. The film Star Wars. It came out in the 70s, and for me, that was like a one of the first films I saw at the cinema. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah, it was it defined a generation. I think in terms of the film as people growing up with then. Yeah. Uh, science fiction fans to this day, I think for them it it developed a love of that whole whole thing. If it had been a massive western, I think we would have a generation now who would be committed to making more and more innovative westerns and things but because that captured that the filmmakers of today that was their childhood film yeah you see the films now they they're looking at science fiction in a new way and they're trying to push the boundaries of that whole genre yeah and the funny thing that you should mention because george lucas who made star wars was essentially making a western in space yeah he he had he he and he says that himself that he's he with star wars what they were they were trying to sort of recapture a bit of that sort of Saturday morning serial yeah. movie that you'd have. So the Westerns and everything like that, if it's, it's possible to think about, about Star Wars as a Western. Yeah, because he was a child of the 50s, so that's yeah. what he would have been, his influential films of his childhood. Yeah. So the child of the 70s is his film. So it's, it's almost like, it's good, isn't it, how that legacy is passed on from hand to hand. Yeah. And the people who loved the the westerns of the 50s probably said you know what it was all about tarzan in the 30s i wanted to take yeah, that exactly. that hero and bring him into our consciousness and expand it so yeah. and god knows what the kids who are watching all the superhero movies now are going to do in 30 years yeah what that that's <laughs> going to leapfrog into <laughs> yeah it'll probably just go all the way around back and go back to tarzan yeah, tarzan again yeah he'd be the biggest thing in 30 years time <laughs> having said that they are making two new tarzan movies now really yeah they're actually making oh my word it's happening already and then it's going to be westerns, and it's going to be yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just <laughs> a going cycle to go around. starts all over again. <laughs> okay, but you okay? So we said we we're going to talk about a hidden gem, and you were just talking about Star Wars, yes. and there's a link between the hidden gem that you've chosen and Star Wars. Yes, the hidden gem I've chosen is one that, in certain circles, everyone knows this film, mm-hmm. but it's I think the wider public it's probably just gone under the radar. But it's called THX one one three eight or eleven thirty eight. Mm-hmm. and it's a film that made by George Lucas, one of his first films he made in 1971, and he made it in collaboration with Francis Ford Coppola, mm-hmm. again, who was a young filmmaker oh, at the time. Oh, of the Godfather fame. Of the Godfather fame. They were basically starting off, and they sort of entered into this sort of ten-picture deal. I don't know if they ever made the ten pictures between them, but to create these sort of these films, and this started off as a student film by George Lucas, and he expanded it to make it into a feature-length film in 1971 and it didn't receive a huge ovation ovation or, at the time yeah. it was it made, sort of made a modest amount of money but then disappeared from view and it was only when Star Wars became the phenomenon that it did that people began to look back at his earlier work and see what the influences were for this and this is one of the ones that people have resurrected and it's since become acknowledged has been a better film than they first thought yeah and that it's grown on people but basically thx 1138 is the name of the main character played by robert duval and it's set in the 25th century 
in a world far different from ours. Yeah. And it's a world that is strictly controlled. Everybody, it's it's almost like a bleached white landscape. Everything is disappears into whiteness. So all the rooms, you don't see the edges of the rooms. You feel you've there's this sense of being confined in this open space, which yeah. is quite strange feeling but everyone is controlled by drugs their mood enhancing drugs or their suppressants mm-hmm. and they forbid physical contact so you have roommates but you you, they, you just live in the same space together you don't have any really per- physical contact or interaction Yeah. and THX 1138 his roommate is a woman and she for some reason I don't know how she happened to do that but she decides that she doesn't want to take her medicine anymore she wants to see what it feels like to not be medicated yeah and so she swaps her drugs with his and so because they're designed the certain drugs work on men and certain drugs work on women they swap them so they're still taking the drugs but they don't have any effect on them physiologically yeah and so then they begin to see each other for the first time and they're both this adult man adult woman and they fall in love, mm-hmm. which is forbidden in in their world, and they enter into this sort of illicit relationship. But then it's discovered that they begin to start acting differently because yeah. they're not controlled by their drugs anymore. Yeah, and they decide that if they can't live together in this world, then they're going to try to leave. And so it becomes a little bit of a chase movie because he's fleeing, and he's being pursued by the authorities, which are personified by the policemen, which are like these android figures, these masked android figures that are like relentless the early prototype of the terminator yeah. in many ways yeah they're just relentless they have one goal which is to detain you and they're sent by the controller yeah who you don't see so, and this world is controlled by a thing called uh the let me see it's the all earth council yeah because you see this is the thing because um i've never seen this film but i've heard about it mm. obviously being like you know being a science fiction fan being like a star wars fan and then you hear that george lucas actually made some films before he made star yeah. wars and you're like what how dare he <laughs> and so i heard about uh heard about american graffiti and thx one 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 three eight and a lot of the times i heard it it sounded to me like it was just kind of like a backdoor adaptation of 1984 like the George Orwell yeah. story, like the like Winston Smith, yeah, yeah, yeah everything is yeah. yeah. So Winston Smith is THX. The whole idea that you know he's in this world, but he starts thinking this isn't quite right and tries to find a way to escape from it. So it sounds to me that there's a lot of parallels between this film and 1984, the yeah. George Orwell story. I think it's certainly there. You can see the influences there. Okay. That this sort of whole dystopian future, mm-hmm. and I think yeah, obviously Orwell examined that. What happens if authority goes mad? Yeah. And this is the same thing. And you don't really see, again, like with all these things, with, you don't see the world around you. you the world it contracts to become about these groups of people. Yeah. And so you don't know what the, the wider picture is. Yeah. You may get, you get a glimpse of it at the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the you know the world that is that that they exa- they, they inhabit may not be the whole world. Yeah, <laughs> it's just the part of because they call themselves the ruling people call themselves the All Earth Council. Yeah, which would suggest they govern the, the whole planet is like this. That this but, is but the whole world. But you don't really know because they don't show you. You anything. don't know. You don't ever see anything beyond their little piece of it. Yeah, but uh, you get that feeling that it's yeah. But for you, you say this is definitely a hidden gem. I think so. I think it's something if you like science fiction. And you like that seventies vibe, mm-hmm. then it's it's a it's a classic that that, that has just been missed that people should see because it again Robert Duvall in his one of his what isn't his early roles because he'd been around for quite a while at this point yeah but it is um, it's extraordinary because they all have shaved heads yeah they don't wear anything but white but pajamas almost these very so 
it's all about the performance. Yeah. And it's they, they are mesmerizing both of the performances. And the, I can't remember her name, but the lady who played his um, his roommate. love interest, Lou, yeah. her name is L U H. She's she only made like two films other than this. Oh wow! So her face is tells the whole story because you don't know her. You're completely drawn into her into performance, the, the reality yeah. of her character. Yeah, it's just yeah. I think, but, but I think because they strip away all those tools and all the gimmicks, and it's just about the two people. And then some scenes, it's just the two of them in a white room, dressed in white. Yeah. So it is all about the eyes and the expressions and, and the, the the physical acting. And just about the actors being able to sell you a story. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Well, that that's really cool because I know that you were talking about Francis Ford Coppola and him and George Lucas being good friends at that time. I know that he actually has a quote where he says, he says that the day Star Wars became successful was the day that America lost its most interesting filmmaker. Yes, because you wonder what other films George Lucas could have made. Yeah. Because you feel like that Star Wars turned into a monster. It, 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 yeah, I think... Because it, it started off like his darling child and then it turned into this spoiled brat and the monster that <laughs> devoured his creativity for 30 years. <laughs> yeah, because he didn't direct another film for 30 years until the next Star Wars movie. Yes. Uh, so, well, until the Star Wars episode one. He just, I think... And all the stories you hear about it, it sounds like he'd done THX and it was a nice small thing, American Graffiti, and it was a yeah. nice small thing. And he went into this Star Wars thing where after he finished making the film, he didn't actually even... I don't think he didn't show for the premiere. When the film was released, he wanted to get as far away as possible from it. He was in Hawaii on holiday with his yeah. family. And they ha- and then they started telling him, oh my God, it's here. There's people like lining up around the block to go- come see your film. And then his life almost became Star Wars. Yeah, and his then he creative- kept like tweaking them, didn't he? You have the... the- for every new piece of technology, he seems to go back and sort of tweak them again. And try doesn't and do he? something yet. Do and something you think, leave it, because <laughs> in my because <laughs> in my head, when I visualise the Star Wars films, I see the original trilogy in their original sort of cinema release with maybe some shonky sci-fi, and I don't want the the high te- the, the, the digital remastered versions. I want the old you're like the VHS kind of person who, ones. I want the vinyl. I don't want the CD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want that. That's my experience of my childhood. The modern ones where they've got all the single dance in the flashy CGI. It's like, no, it's not the, the Star Wars of my youth. <laughs> oh, you just sounded a bit like Maggie earlier. Yeah. <laughs> you sounded like Maggie. But the thing With is, the uh, animation. Yeah. yeah and, uh, and I actually, uh, I just had this image of you wearing on a T-shirt saying, George Lucas, stop messing with my child. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a song by, a, I think their name's uh, Peter and Storm. Yeah. And it's called the George R. R. Martin song. And it's uh, Right Like the Wind. And it's all about, it's a song aimed at George R. R. Martin. It's about writing the, the, the Game of Thrones books faster. Yeah. And in it, it said, um, and it says, Rowling took 10 years to write Harry Potter and so-and-so took so-and-so. Shakespeare wrote 33 plays in the time it's take you to written your novels. And George Lucas spent 30 years on Star Wars. And we all know how that turned out in the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And it's like, yeah, stop fiddling with it. <laughs> so, THX1138. Wait yeah. until he starts fiddling with that and let's see what he does with he it. He has already. He's, that's what I was going to say. When they did the digital release, he tweaked with it. And he added a few digital scenes to expand that universe a little bit and add yeah. a bit more depth to the, some of the scenes. Yeah. It's like, no, leave it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, leave it, George. <laughs> okay. Um, we are almost out of time now. We just have enough time to talk about a final section, which is the exception to the rule. The rule being that they don't make them like they used to. And this is going to be a film that we've chosen because we think it's been made after 1980, but it's actually a very, very good film that can stand up um, with any of these other films. And this week... 
thinking about Roman Holiday and thinking about Audrey Hepburn and thinking about how she had this quality about her that you know you could essentially just put a film on the back of it. So Roman Holiday really runs on the runs on the charm of Audrey Hepburn and like, the charm of her and Gilgi Peck and all that kind of stuff. And I was thinking, do we have anything like that th- today? And there was one film that came to mind. It's uh, called Amelie. Ah, yes, Amelie. It's Amelie, and it's a French movie starring a French actress called Audrey Tattoo. And here's a little bit of music from Amelie, which is extremely French, extremely French and accordion But we're going to play this, and we're going to have a little bit of a little bit of a chat about Audrey Tattoo and um, that impish quality star carry a whole film thing. That is very French. <laughs> very French. <laughs> French. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah, that's definitely French. So that's um, yeah, the film, um, the film Amelie, starring Audrey Tattoo, and the music by Jan Tiersen. And this is a film that I think you know we were talking about how, what Roman Holiday does with Rome earlier, and it makes the whole place look amazing. Yes. And I think it's almost kind of like a fantasy. F- and the, the film is very, very done in a very sy- yeah. stylized, highly stylized fantasy way. Makes Paris look amazing, and mm. it's built upon this great performance by Audrey Tattoo. Where oh she's also called Audrey, I did not. Ah, ah. Maybe it, was, it might be something to do with Audrey's, but it's like it's, I think she has a kind of like this sort of impish face thing. She has a sort of like bob haircut in the film, yeah, and she's just so sort of like charming and everything. So I remember I was watching the film with my wife because she hadn't seen it, and Claudia was saying how some of the things that she does is annoying, and she was like, oh that's really annoying, that's really, annoying. and I was like. Oh yeah, I guess it could be quite annoying if she didn't do it with so much charm. Yeah, if she has that, yeah, she has that, yeah. that quality about her. Again. Yeah, yeah, and and I think Orita too is one of the she's one of the few people I have seen. Even though the film is in French and you have to read for like you know an hour yeah. and a half, even though she's one of the few people I've seen nowadays who actually has that kind of quality about her that you know you can also say oh like. I would put this up with like Audrey Hepburn yeah. in Roman Holiday. I would say that you just just the watchability, the, sh- the sheer watchability of her. I think her. it's a film that you can separate out of time. It's one of those ones I think that it will still stand up in in years time. Yeah, in in years, I think people will still be looking at this film and thinking, "Oh my word, Amelie Audrey Tattoo yeah. was so great. Look this at the way a, it was directed." It's, yeah. So so it was a really really good film. So and if, like it's one of our first films that we saw as a, as a Western audience, yeah, as, a non French audience. As a, as a non French audience, it I think it was really brought her to our attention. It was a breakout role. I mean, same I, way that Roman Holiday was. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Oh my <laughs> word. We are good at this. Yeah. We're just like bringing links all over the shop, all over the shop. But yeah, I would re- I would recommend finding Amelie, finding Amelie and watching it because I think it's a beautiful, lovely film it's and très bon. And yeah, and as you said, the lack of cynicism that makes yeah. Roman Holiday work. It's this is it's this is a thing. film that's made years later in quite in a highly cynical age, but still manages to just cut through all that cynicism yeah. and just come up with something it magical. And even the potential sinister bit about the photographs has a completely innocent explanation. Yeah. And yeah. the photo booths. That's the thing. Go watch this film to find out about photographs and the photo booths. All right. We are just <laughs> we're out of time. Once again I want to say thank you to Maggie, Mariah, Veronica and Stay well, get home soon, and please remember, as always, that they do not make them as they used to. Good night.